For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Yes, that iHeartRadio. And uh, tune in and all the other stuff as we... Oh my god, what are we doing here, guys? I gotta be able to see the freaking skip Skype. The old Skype-a-rooney, as they say. And we are gonna get our first guest, or our only guest of the hour, hopefully. And, uh... We're going to see what happens. We are going to see what happens here. What happens here, as they say. I don't know who's saying it. I don't know why they're saying it. But. We will see what happens. Alum Bukhari. Please leave your message for. Of course. Hello, it is James Lowe calling you for your radio interview. Uh, my number is 620-402-0878. Thank you, sir. So we are going to call him right back. <laughs> That's what we're going to do, because they're our guest for the hour. And we will see what happens here. have a number do we have a number hello hello this is uh james calling you for your radio interview how are you uh hi i'm good how are you pretty good actually let me uh get our other two co-hosts in here and we will get this off and rolling i appreciate you making time and uh and joining us today, because this uh, this oh, is no a, uh, a, a fascinating, fascinating topic, and I know that IQ and Dan are going to uh, going to love to chat with you today. So uh, let me get them on the horn here, and we will get things rolling. But uh, we have got a great guest with us today, uh, going to be joining us here on our big broadcast, and I believe Dan has joined us. Dan, can you hear me, my friend? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Perfect. Yes, and 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 you have a uh, fantastic uh, sound. I don't know where where the hell you're coming from, but you sound amazing today, Dan. Well, uh, I'm outside on the street walking <laughs> with my Apple earbuds in. Wow. Okay. Well, I might have to get some of those after all. And uh, I am I am trying to connect with IQ Rizzoli, and hopefully he. Uh, he joins us here in a few moments, but we've got a great guest with us today here on our broadcast. Twitter has been censoring videos of doctors, Capitol Hill coronavirus press conferences. They have been locking Breitbart's account, and we have got a Breitbart journalist with us today who is joining us. And uh, I, I know I'm going to butcher your your name, and I apologize ahead of time. Uh, Alum Bukhari, is that right? 
Uh, that is right. You got it right the first time. Holy smokes! Look at that. It's like it's like it's like I've done this before. Uh, he is a uh, senior technology correspondent at Breitbart News and the author of the great upcoming book hashtag deleted big tech's battle to erase the trump movement and steal the election and he's with us today here in our pro program currently available for pre-order on amazon he is one of the best networks of silicon valley insiders and in tech journalism and has published numerous high impact scoops including the google tape facebook's hate agents review list and google's the good censor and he's with us today here in our broadcast so uh alum Talk to us a little bit about this. Uh, first off, uh, my first question, obviously, is tech censorship is the greatest threat to Donald Trump's re-election chances, greater even than voter fraud. They've just, this again, by silencing one of the uh, president's most effective supporters on social media. Break it down for us, my friend. Tell me all about this. Well, the big threat, I think, is uh, undecided voters and how they're going to be affected by tech bias in the upcoming election. If yes. you're an undecided voter and you're trying to find out information, uh, well, you would be trying to find out information about both candidates to make up your mind. And yep. where are you most likely to go? You're most likely to go to Google search, which processed, I believe, 90, more than 90% of global searches last year. They're a total monopoly. And what you're going to get if you search for Joe Biden or Donald Trump on Google is a stream of propaganda. We uh, did a story at Breitbart uh, last week showing that uh, our search visibility on Google has declined 99.7% since the last election. Wow. They pushed it off a cliff, and they've done that to many other conservative publications. So uh, that's uh, going to be a massive, massive problem for Donald Trump in the upcoming election, not to mention the, uh, the dozens of his most prominent supporters have been kicked off social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. One of the things, we have got a great guest with us today, Alum Bakari is with us. He's got hashtag deleted. It is a, a great book. We're going to get to Dan Perkins here in just a few moments. Uh, my, my other question that I have is uh, we have seen before some of these mainstream journalists are able to put pressure on big tech companies to do their bidding, essentially Twitter and other tech companies, uh, got rid of Alex Jones. And I just find this absolutely amazing that uh, the Republicans and a lot of the conservatives uh, used Alex and his audience to help get Trump and other Republicans elected. And then as soon as they got him in there, they didn't know who he was anymore, like Marco Rubio. And uh, he got basically banned everywhere. And nobody has done anything about this. What, what, what do you make of this? Republicans, especially the Republican establishment, have really dropped the ball on tackling tech censorship. I mean, you have to remember, Alex Jones was, uh, he hosted Donald Trump on his radio show yes. in, the, uh, in the primaries, I believe. Yes. Uh, and, you know, he was, he was just the first in a long line of uh, prominent Trump supporters who were uh, kicked off social media platforms. That's, that's the problem. You think it won't happen to you, but if you uh, let them gain an inch, they'll take a mile. That's exactly what happened there. And, you know, whether you disagree with Alex Jones or not, uh, he has a First Amendment right to yes. speak his views. And should social media companies have the ability to censor public discourse in that manner? I don't think they should. Now, you compare it to, say, uh, yes, go ahead. like a, a, la a landlord. A landlord can't just boot you off your boot you off the property for no reason. He has to follow a legal due process. When, But if you're someone like Alex Jones, his entire 
business depends in large part on access to these social media platforms, uh, then you have no legal rights whatsoever. It's uh, quite frightening. Now, we've got Dan Perkins with us today, best-selling author, and uh, I have lost track of how many places Dan writes for. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Dan, I know you've got some questions for our guests, oh, yeah. so jump in there, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Fascinating subject matter. Um, I would like to take a different tack. Um I have a reputation for trying to go a different direction, and uh, it's not designed to throw you off. It's just a, it's the way I process information. I'm going to give you an example, and I want to suggest to you that possibly the power of Twitter to change people's minds is exaggerated by the mainstream media. A number of years ago, when Rush Limbaugh was promoting and supporting Donald Trump for president, there was a campaign to get him off the air, big Twitter campaign. And they were supposedly his sponsors were getting hundreds of thousands of emails saying, if you don't take him off, we're not going to buy your product. Rush didn't give in. And he went out and he started to investigate. And he just said it again this week. He was able to determine that 10 people were responsible for flooding Twitter with false stories about him trying to get him. And he ultimately was able, to, through his security, to determine who those 10 people were. So there are some people who think that the influence that Twitter has may, in fact, be overstated. Now. With that in, in, in mind, if, if people are trying to decide today who voted four years ago, whether or not they're going to reelect Donald Trump, and they're looking to social media and tell them what they should do, I, I, I think that's creating a, a level of power greater than what social media really has. And I think it's the mainstream media that is hyping what the Twitter universe is. And just to give you an example, just before we came on the air, I'm a registered investment advisor, been managing money for over 50 years, among other things. Disney reported their earnings today. And they reported earnings just slightly ahead of schedule, which blew everybody away with all the theme parks closed. What made the difference was that they reported that on Disney Plus, their streaming service, they now have 100 million subscribers. 100 million subscribers who are watching Disney Plus. I think that there are alternative channels out there that can be exposed and uh, expanded upon to help offset the Facebook and the Twitter supposed influence on the campaign. What say you? Well, first of all, I think you're absolutely right about Twitter. Its influence is exaggerated. That's partly because so many journalists use it. Uh, journalists are kind of Twitter addicts in many cases. 
I think uh, you know, you've got to remember that Twitter, the number of Americans who use Twitter is not very high as a percentage. However, that's very di- uh, Google and Facebook are entirely different beasts you're talking about. In Facebook's case, you're talking about a social network with 2 billion users or more worldwide. In Google's case, you're talking about a tool that everyone uses to find new information. There's no alternative. So the influence of Facebook and Google is, I think, very, very real. Twitter might be exaggerated. Uh, One thing I will say about Twitter, though, it is a place where, because so many journalists and so many political influencers use it uh, regularly, it is a place where political movements can get started and start to grow. It's not an endpoint for political movements, but it's a way for them to access the national media and enter the national conversation. And certainly I've seen entire political movements just appear on Twitter uh, indeed, the Black Lives Matter movement was just a hashtag initially, and there have been right-wing movements and libertarian movements that have started on Twitter as well, which is why it's also it's, you know, it's important not just to let Twitter be censored. Um, it's, it's not as influential as Facebook or Google, but it's certainly important. But uh, Facebook, I would say, it's essential for news publishers. Uh, 60% of American adults now use Facebook as a source for getting news. And uh, Google, again, there's just no alternative there, I don't think. Well, if you look at, um, I look at uh, polling data for my columns, and the company that I've been using for almost 10 years, who got the 2016 election called from the very beginning, Rasmussen is printing much different numbers than what the mainstream media is, is, is producing in terms of favorability ratings, job approval, all that. Um, I wonder, see, I, I happen to believe that Mr. Trump is going to win re-election in a much larger margin than he did against Hillary Clinton. And uh, people think I'm crazy, but I just believe that. There's too much evidence that Mr. Biden isn't capable. So what I'm wondering is if the president has strong coattails that he can change the makeup of the house. And by the way, I saw a poll this week that says like 63% of registered voters are dissatisfied with their incumbents. So I think you could see a significant change in the makeup of the house come November and that the, the Democrats lose control and get destroyed, the Republicans take over control. And then I think you're gonna see more pressure from the administration and through Congress on Google and Facebook. You think that's possible? I'd like to remain optimistic, especially about uh, Trump's chances, but I think the, uh, the challenge he faces is in 2020 is on a completely different level to what he faced in 2016. In 2016, these tech giants were caught napping and the wider progressive movement was caught napping. They won't be so complacent this time. The, uh, and the amount of control they've tried to exert over the flow of information, the amount of censorship is something I've never seen before. Uh, right. My sources inside Facebook and Google tell me that uh, inside both those companies, it was just complete panic and shock at the outcome of 2016. And uh, most importantly, my uh, one of my Facebook sources has told me that all these departments that these companies set up after the 2016 election, these departments to tackle fake, so-called fake news, so-called misinformation, so-called hate speech, or to watch over 
so-called election integrity. All the most anti-Trump people joined those uh, those projects because they knew it would help them control the flow of information, and they felt guilty for not doing enough to stop Trump in 2016. And that's a big challenge that Trump didn't face in 2016, and he will in 2020. Now, obviously, now, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And, and, you know, we had the riots, and that'll be at the forefront of many people's minds. But uh, breaking through that control of information that the tech companies have is going to be a challenge. I, I understand. I haven't seen numbers for a couple of months, but the last numbers I saw is that Donald Trump on Twitter has 120 million followers. That's bigger than the top... 10 news media outlets, radio, television, and newspapers combined. So he's getting his message out. But I, 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 I have to admit to you that I can't remember something, and maybe you can help me. I'm hearing more and more and more about this alternative to Facebook. And I can't remember the name. I've talked to several people like Jim who are switching away from Facebook and going to this new social media platform. Do you know what it is? Uh, well, there are a couple of alternatives. There's, uh, there's Gab.com, which is a free speech alternative that's been, that's been around for a while. There's uh, Parler.com as well, um, and there's also Minds.com. Uh, they're, they're all very uh, good platforms. I have accounts on both Gab and Parler. Um, the problem with the competitors, though, is... Uh, Google and Apple have to, between them a complete monopoly over the smartphone market. So 99% of all smartphone operating systems around the world are controlled by Google and Apple. Mm-hmm. And because of that duopoly, they're able to exclude competitors and uh, ideological competitors from the uh, smartphone marketplace is what they did to Gab. They, uh, both Apple and Google banned Gab from the smartphone app stores, meaning Gab is essentially excluded from any from every smartphone around the world, it's very, very difficult to get around that censorship. Uh, I believe it's possible if you're very technically savvy on an Android phone to install an app outside of the app store. That's not true on Apple iPhones. Okay. Did you? Um, um, I, I'm curious as to your thoughts about the blatant attempt, publicly blatant attempt, that one of the people at Twitter decided to correct or limit the president's United States message. They did it a couple of times. I have not heard them do it any since any, any, any time since then. Are, are you aware of that? Uh, I am aware of that. And that's actually a very new thing within the past few months. Uh, these tech companies have decided that for the first time ever, they're going to censor the president. We've seen Twitter delete his tweets or place warning labels over them. Uh, Amazon's Twitch platform, which is a uh, streaming pla- video streaming platform, banned Trump's entire account over hate speech. Gave him, I think it was 30 day suspension. Uh, and Facebook banned a, uh, an ad from the Trump campaign that drew attention to Antifa. So the tech companies are definitely getting more brazen with their censorship. They're ramping it up ahead of the election. And I think we'll see even more cases like that as the election draws closer. But I I read a recent poll where uh, a majority of American voters see this uh, suppression as a a suppression of free speech. And that the Uh, media media companies. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. 
so that the, the consumer is beginning to to stand up and be counted, maybe small at the beginning. But the more they do it, the more the anger wells up in the American people. And that's why I was going back to the question I asked you earlier. Should Donald Trump win re-election and get control of the House, would we see some significant, lack of a better word, attacks on the objectivity of the communications industry? And, well, yeah, uh, I, I, am I am familiar with that poll, and uh, it is one of the optimistic, positive things that so many people, both Democrats and Republicans, ordinary voters, don't like to see these tech companies have such a huge, unaccountable control over the flow of information. Um, so certainly we're seeing some promising steps from the administration in reining the, te the tech companies in. Uh, I believe there's currently a petition before the FCC from the administration uh, calling for a reassessment of Section 230, which is the law that gives them the privilege, the special legal privilege to censor at will and also immunity from lawsuits related to defamation. One of their big right. legal privileges that allows them to get to, that allow them to get them to stick in the first place. So we are seeing positive steps from the Trump administration. Uh, as far as Republican and Democrat politicians on Capitol Hill go, that's a trickier thing because got to remember that Google and Facebook and these other tech companies have flooded D.C. with lobbying money. They fund both Republican and Democrat politicians. And I think the base uh, will have to make their voices heard there, especially with regards to the Democrats who either see tech censorship as a good thing, they often demand more of it, or they pretend it's just a, a right-wing conspiracy theory, even though, as you said, uh, even Democrat, ordinary Democrat voters believe that tech censorship is happening. Well, I just I just saw another survey which talked about what American people think about the bias of the news media and social media, and well over 60% believe that the uh, the media is openly anti-Trump, and I'm wondering if that if there's a possibility that it turns into noise from the social media people, and Americans just turn it off and don't pay attention to it. I'm surprised it's only 60%. I mean, I imagine even if you're a left winner, the anti-Trump bias of the mainstream media is hard to ignore. Uh, I certainly hope they do turn it off and look for alternative news sources. But it's important, I think, for people remember to remember this election season, it's not good enough to just go through Google or Facebook to get alternative sources of news anymore. That might have worked in 2016, but I think... This time, Randy, you're going to have to be more old school about it. You're going to have to you know, type websites into your browser, Breitbart.com. You're going to have to sign up to email lists and email blasts from, those, from your favorite websites because Google and Facebook and these other companies are definitely tightening their control over information. So if I look at – if I can go to your company for a second. Um, great company, great journalists do a terrific job. Are you um, – you obviously were affected when, when Facebook – and Google started to attack you. Have you hit bottom, and are you starting to come back up? Or what's going on? Well, the good thing is Breitbart, Breitbart readers are still loyal, and they don't rely on these tech platforms. So even though Google and Facebook have been coming after us, uh, our traffic remains strong, our popularity remains strong. Uh, a lot of people get to Breitbart, as I said, by actually typing the website address into their browser or having us in their bookmarks, uh, which makes us difficult to censor. Obviously, the same can't be said for many other conservative sites, but certainly Facebook and Google have been coming after us. We had Facebook censoring a video 
uh, a video of a press conference with, uh, with doctors last week. It had over 17 million views and was the top performing post on Facebook before it got censored. Uh, we also, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the show, uh, Google reducing our visibility on search by 99.7% since the uh, last election. So they're, they're certainly coming for us. Whether they'll succeed is another matter. So if they re- reduce it 99%, where are you today? Uh, how much of that 99 have you recovered, if any? Uh, well, right now, we have 0.3% of the uh, visibility on Google that we had in the run-up to the, uh, to the 2016 election. So like a, t- a tiny fraction of where we were last time around. And what, what, do you have strategies to try and expand your presence, even though you can't get into Google? Uh, well, obviously, we're putting lots of pressure on Google and drawing attention to it. We'll be looking at uh, other websites that have been affected by this as well. Uh, but as, as I said, the, the best way for people to get around the censorship and what I constantly encourage people to do is uh, don't rely on Google anymore. Uh, have bookmark lists of your favorite websites uh, and sign up to, uh, to email newsletters. So uh, how are you getting that message out? Uh, well, just by talking about it and writing about it, but you've correctly identified the catch-22 here, which is how do you reach uh, new people when Google and Facebook, who control so much of our access to information, don't want your message to get out? That's the real threat there. So have you thought about the possibility of uh, a suit against Google and, and uh, Facebook? Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I can't answer that question. Um, I will say that uh, this law, Section 230, does give tech companies a lot of protection from lawsuits. And uh, there's certainly a wide gap in the legal due process rights that consumers and businesses have in relation to these tech companies uh, that they would have in relation to any other company. So if you look at your, if you look at your site versus, say, Facebook or Google. You, you said earlier that Facebook is the, the number one source for news. Is that correct? I think it's something like 60% of Americans get their news through Facebook uh, these days. They're certainly the most powerful platform for distributing news on the web. And so is there anything that you can do short of a lawsuit? I mean, you talked about forgetting about using the Google browser, just put in a web address. Have you thought about what if, if just as a curiosity, if you decided you wanted to start a marketing campaign on not on social media, but on radio and television about get your news by you know filling in the, your browser, would you run into problems with uh, network television and network radio? Uh, well, that's hard to say because I'm not really involved in uh, in the advertising side of Breitbart. Um, I mean, certainly, advertisers is uh, ad- advertisers. Um, if you look at the ad- if you look at the advertising industry more generally, they're one of the sources for tech censorship. Whenever the mainstream media wants more censorship from Facebook or YouTube, they'll tend to try and whip up an advertising boycott against those platforms because they rely on ad revenue to make their profits. That's what uh, the media's been whipping up against Facebook in the past few months because they, uh, the media alleges that they don't do enough to crack down on so-called 
hate speech, and it's what uh, YouTube did. Uh, what sorry, what happened to YouTube in 2017? A massive advertiser panic because it was alleged they weren't censoring enough offensive material. So the advertising industry is, I'd say, one of the engines of censorship. But you know, I was I, maybe I'm I'm cynical. I thought that that whole story about the advertisers complaining about Facebook was a, a lie. It was it was it was fake news that they were saying Google was saying that, but in fact they they there weren't any really people interested in necessarily. I mean, I saw the uh, the ad space with the black screens, but in reality. How effective was that against Google or Facebook? Well, I mean, some big brands certainly did boycott Facebook. Uh, Unilever did, one of the biggest uh, advertising spenders in the world. Uh, Facebook, I think, weathered the storm, I think, um, uh, partly because the boycott wasn't as big as the one that YouTube faced a while ago. Um, but the media was less successful this time, but, but certainly it's, uh, you know, if we're talking about advertising, it's certainly an, it's a force for censorship rather than against it. You know, if, if I, uh, Jim, if you don't mind, could I uh, change the subject just a little bit? Yeah, go ahead, Dan, go ahead. Uh, I'm staying up with the media, but I want to raise the issue of what's happening to the corporations and the sports teams who have decided to support Black Lives Matters. And when the baseball teams and the basketball teams came back on and the fans saw all of the crap about Black Lives Matter all over the place, they turned it off. And one of the things that was talked about was before this, that since they can't put fans in the stand, they desperately need fans to watch on TV because without the TV revenue, they got nothing. Well, so far, the TV audiences have been way under what they thought they would get. So advertisers looking at the audiences are gonna say, I'm not paying $300,000 a minute for that space. You only got 10% of what you said, so I'm going to pay 30000 So the decision to get involved with Black Lives Matter as part of a corporate strategy may in fact come back and jeopardize the whole professional sports industry in the United States. And I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, certainly professional sports is one of the few industries where uh, it is perilous to engage in too much leftist virtue signaling because many football fans, baseball fans, lean conservative. Uh, it's also like similar to what happened to uh, Gillette a while back when they uh, when they decided to, to engage in you know, fairly sexist virtue signaling, uh, sexist against men, that is, and they lost a huge chunk of their revenues. So it, it certainly does happen on occasion that these companies lose money when they engage in virtue signaling. In other cases, like Unilever, as I mentioned, Unilever owns lots of uh, uh, consu uh, consumer brands, lots of uh, food brands, lots of cosmetics brands. Uh, they didn't suffer any similar backlash. So some, some brands are able to do this better than others, and it largely depends on what sort of audience they have, what sort of market they have.
Mm -hmm. So the one of the things that they're they're talking about uh, that that some people are saying that Google and Facebook and the sports teams are in collusion with the Chinese, and that the Chinese are have been buying for some time. Lots of the media in the United States, movie studios, radio and television, to try and control the message. And because they have such a strong influence in the sports teams in providing equipment, they have tremendous power to influence the image on television of all the sports teams. So we've got a foreign government ultimately involved in the entertainment structure, which is partly the, con the uh, communication structure. Is China a big player or not? Uh, oh, it absolutely is. Uh, Breitbart's been writing about uh, Chinese influence over Hollywood since for years. Since uh, I think the earliest article I saw in that was 2011, 2012 by uh, I think it was John Nolte. Uh, so they're, they're absolutely they've absolutely sunk their claws into the entertainment industry, no doubt about that. And we saw that with the uh, with the NBA uh, fiasco. Um, yes. Uh, so, also, also the tech industry, I'd say, because you know, remember, all these tech companies have uh, they have manufacturing plants over in China. That's where, base, that's where basically every uh, iPhone is made. Uh, Microsoft, which is going to buy TikTok, you know, still has research and development facilities over in China. And Google was uh, got in a lot of trouble a few years ago for attempting to make a censored search app for the Chinese market. They were deliberately tailoring their their app to meet the demands of Chinese. Senses. I think every uh, big company, whether it's entertainment or tech or anything else, knows there's a lot of money to be made in China, and they'll and because of that, they'll just look the other way on human rights abuses, even while they'll uh, virtue signal here in the U.S. on other issues. Yeah. So if I if I go to your site today, are there different stories trending on Breitbart than you would find on Facebook and Google? Uh, absolutely, I would say so. Certainly different to what was uh, trending on Twitter last week because we were we were shut out from our account for about four days because we are uh, again over that video that Facebook censored. Uh, but yes, but uh, yes, certainly. So what what's what's hot in your mind? What what are you what are you trying to get the American people to see and hear? Uh, well. Today, the uh, the big story I would say is um, what is the big story today? Well, the the mainstream media wanted the big story today to be about uh, Donald Trump's interview with uh, with Axios. I don't think that's as big of a story yeah. as they th as they think it is. Yeah. Um, I think the big story today is the uh, the explosion in Beirut, although it's not really a partisan story. But uh, I'll give you one big example of a story that the mainstream media completely ignored uh, this weekend, uh, the release of court documents in the Epstein case, uh, one of the uh, victims alleging that Bill Clinton was seen on Epstein's island. That was a story that I think was an independent watchdog found that uh, the mainstream media, the left-wing media, completely ignored that story. It would have had a 76% uh, right-wing bias, meaning the uh, the right-wing media covered it, including Breitbart covered the story, but no one else did. So there's a perfect example of a story that 
uh, would be, would, you know, you'll find it on Google because Google considers the, the uh, outlets ignoring it to be so-called authoritative sources, but you would you'd find a harder time getting the story from the right-wing media about it. I, um, I did a story a long time ago, uh, just before the, uh, the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. And I, I, I made the bold statement that the right has made an assumption that is flawed because you understand of all the things that have been going on in the Obama administration and into the beginning of the Trump administration with all the collusion and the espionage and everything else, because the right wing, right wing media has been talking about it, the mainstream media is not. And I say that the vast majority of Americans have no idea what happened. I think that's absolutely true, and that's a situation they'd love to have continue. I think uh, this is why there was so much panic about Facebook and these other tech companies after the uh, 2016 election, because it was a way for all this alternative media to rise up and start challenging the, uh, the left-wing media narratives and start, uh, start covering stories and getting them to the public eye that uh, had been completely ignored by the mainstream media. And I think that's why there's been such a push over the past four years to regain control of these tech platforms and uh, and make sure there are once again progressive elite gatekeepers in charge of the flow of information. What is what is it, if anything, you think that Mr. Trump can do to uh, get better exposure in social media? Uh, well, not not a whole lot uh, before the next election season. I think it's unfortunately a bit too late to bring these tech companies to heel. Uh, I think it's like I said, it's got to be uh, it's got to be old school. Trump supporters have to sort of take matters into their own hands to make sure everyone sees the message coming out there uh, out of conservative media, you know, from the Trump Twitter account. Because keep in mind, even though Trump has all those followers on Twitter, that doesn't mean that Twitter is going to allow his tweet to be seen. Uh, I know a lot of people complain they no longer receive notifications when Trump tweets on their phones anymore, something that used to be happened for every single one of his tweets. So it's it's really, uh, you know, in this election season, uh, conservative voters, Trump voters, because they're being suppressed on these platforms, they need to, you know, take conservative stories, take tweets from President Trump and actually send them to people, especially to undecided voters, because those undecided voters are going to be much less likely to encounter non-mainstream opinion and non-mainstream information via Google or Facebook or Twitter than they were at the last election. Do you think that the, that the, the digital universe, both uh, internet and TV, wants debates between Donald Trump and Joe Biden? I think there's a lot of movement against that now. I think a lot of people in the uh, in the Biden camp, in uh, the progressive media more generally, have realized the race is sort of Joe Biden's to lose. He's currently a, Biden's currently ahead in the polls, although it is narrowing. Uh, so, and they're worried about uh, Biden's capacity, this mental capacity. We've seen uh, so many times when he's done public events how he's had those brain freeze moments. Uh, and a you know a long one-hour debate is no joke. Even someone with you know perfect command of their faculties might have difficulty with that. So I think that's the big fear with the uh, from the Democrats, and that's why you're seeing more articles 
um, in the mainstream media. I think CNN published an opinion piece as well saying that Biden shouldn't debate Trump. But if, if he doesn't debate Trump, um, how does he win? Staying in his cave? Uh, I, I honestly think that's that's the strategy they've gone with because they they're aware that the more people, the more voters see Joe Biden, uh, the more uh, worried they are about the sort of him becoming president because they they're just like he's up to the job. They're just so desperate to shove this guy past the finish line. I <laughs> just, it's absolutely insane to me. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live. Here in our broadcast, uh, Alum Bakari is with us. Hashtag deleted big text battle to uh, chase uh, the Trump movement and steal the election. And uh, Dan Perkins with us today, as always, best-selling author. Um, so, Alum, this this book, incredibly well-written. You've put a lot of time and effort into this. What's been some uh, feedback and reviews you've gotten on this book so far? Uh, well, not a whole lot of people have read it so far because, uh, well, it's not out until uh, September 22nd, uh, but we will be publishing some extracts on, uh, on Breitbart fairly soon, I think. Um, but as far as significant reviews go, I'll have to wait until some more people have read it. Fantastic. Dan, jump back in there. Do you have any more questions, my friend? Sure, sure. I'm just curious about the, I want to take this, the thing you just said. Is, is it, it seems amazing to me that Sean Hannity brought out a new book last Friday and the first day of sale it was the number one book on Amazon in the nonfiction area and maybe the number one book period and uh, there are there thousands of reviews so are we saying that people like you've been talking about indirectly People are starved for information when somebody like Sean writes a book and publishes about about what's going on with Trump and the and the country. That that starving for information is why people, why the hundreds of thousands jump in and buy his book. Well, I think Sean's had a always had a massive audience, and he's had that since the pre uh, pre social media era. So he's sort of insulated from tech censorship. Uh, the people who aren't insulated from tech censorship are the uh, the Trump supporters who uh, rose during the era of uh, social media censorship, like people like Laura Luma, uh, people like uh, Gavin McInnes, um, uh, people like uh, Carl Benjamin in the UK, Tommy Robinson, all of these people who had massive social media presences and relied on that to get their message out. And when uh, when it was taken away from them, they didn't have like a big cable news show as an alternative. So I think that's why uh, someone like Sean is kind of insulated from that. Although I will say uh, these tech platforms have not been above censoring Fox hosts as well. I remember when Twitter censored uh, Pete Hexer, and uh, they've also yeah. sent, uh, censored Laura Ingram before as well. They deleted her tweets. So just because you're a cable host, you're a, you know, a cable host might be a little bit insulated in terms of the existing audience they already have, uh, which is independent of these platforms, but they're certainly not immune and uh, the other thing i'd say is these uh you know the internet and social media was supposed to be a liberation from the corporate media obviously you know, i'm a big fan of some fox news hosts but the in the internet was supposed to give people a platform that anyone could access 
to get the message out to potentially millions of people without the need to have a uh, have a um, to be a broadcaster, to have a big studio, and you know to go through all that process to get your message out. Every, suddenly, the internet allowed everyone to be able to do it. Unfortunately, now it's controlled by these gatekeepers, so uh, that power has been diminished. I, I, I would I would point out one thing for you. Um, it appears that Donald Trump in the 2016 election got somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 million votes. 62 million. The latest radio Arbitron numbers I've seen says that Rush Limbaugh has over 60 million listeners a day. 60 million a day. It doesn't happen for the whole three hours. Sean's number two at, at, at somewhere in the neighborhood of 53 million. So these icons who've established their own social media presence, are, are they a, a formidable force? They certainly are a formidable force, and that's why uh, Trump still has a shot at winning the election. I think the real problem is the uh, the, un- the people who aren't political partisans, the uh, the undecided voters. Uh, they're not necessarily going to be getting their information from Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh, but uh, they're very likely to get their information from Google or Facebook, which is why they're going to have uh, those tech- that tech censorship will make an impact in 2020, potentially a very big impact. Uh, I know there are, there's one search engine expert, uh, Dr. Robert Epstein, who's a psychologist who's been studying the effect of search engine bias on uh, voter opinion. He estimates that up to 10% of undecided voters could be shifted due to tech censorship and tech bias in the next election. And when you consider how small the uh, margin of victory was last time around, how small those margins normally are in presidential elections, I uh, certainly wouldn't discount the power of uh, of tech censorship, uh, especially when these tech companies know so much about us and have so much data on our habits and our likes and our interests, which they use to manipulate us. They, they use that information to get us to buy products all the time. Uh, I don't see why they wouldn't use that to manipulate our voting decisions as well. So I want to I want to talk about voting for just one second. Um, if if we look at it from the standpoint of the message that that uh, Joe Biden has, which is hard to determine what it is uh, because he really hasn't said very much, anything over about three minutes. Um, what happens? Go back to the article that I wrote several weeks ago, where I said that I believe that when it comes time to walk into the voting booth, there are five things that are going to be on America's mind. Biden wants to increase taxes. Biden's associated with the people who want to defund the police. Biden is in favor of taking away your free speech. Uh, he's got medical experts to tell him that he's not capable to run the, to do the job. That's four. I find it hard because what we're what the last one of the last surveys that I saw was. Three percent of the people who were surveyed, Democrat and Republican, have said three percent that they pay enough taxes. Nobody else said they wanted to pay more. I mean, it was it was unreal, unreal, unbelievable. Fifty-seven um, percent of blacks 
do not want to defund the police. When you, uh, when you look at those issues, those basic fundamental issues, why would people want to vote for Joe Biden? And uh, that's, as a uh, result, that's a great... I'm sorry, I, just, I, I, I stopped when I shouldn't have. I apologize. So my point is, if I'm right, and here's a prediction, Jim, that Donald Trump wins probably in the neighborhood of somewhere between 350 and 370 electoral votes in the general election. Yes. And he takes control of the House. Okay. And expands, expands the control of the Senate. Okay. What do, what do the Democrats do? They're going to lose control of the House. All the committees are gone. Uh, maybe a lot of them. I mean, a huge percentage of the population is dissatisfied with their representatives and looking for a change. So what happens if they win the House back, keep the Senate, got the presidency? What happens to the power and the influence, one, of the Democratic Party? And will we see on election night, just like we saw in 2016, when the mainstream media was crying because they couldn't figure out how they lost, will the social media, Google and Facebook, will they be mystified with everything they threw at this man for four years that they lost again? What are they going to do? Well, yeah, I think they, they would be mystified, certainly, but I... Uh... I have to disagree with this, this argument that Trump's certainly going to win in a landslide. I think the challenge he faces this time around is much bigger than uh, than before. And obviously, Biden, I, I agree with you, Biden has a very unpopular platform. No one likes uh, taxes being raised. No one wants to really defund the police, except for a tiny minority of extremely radical left-wingers. But mm-hmm. uh, the question is, how will that message get out to people? Because the mainstream media is not going to be uh, telling voters that Biden's going to raise your taxes and make your city unsafe. They'll be saying other things are going to be telling voters that uh, Donald Trump is a racist, that he's uh, advocated a poison called hydroxychloroquine, that he's botched the response to the pandemic, that's, uh, that he's killing Americans. They're going to be, it's going to be completely hysterical propaganda that's going to be amplified by the uh, the social networks by the tech companies, and equally, any counter-narrative is going to be suppressed by them. And that's a challenge Trump didn't face in, uh, in 2016. So um, I'm not entirely sure he has it in the bag. I think the polls are narrowing, but we're going to really see what uh, sort of impact uh, this control of information will have. I don't think we've seen it on this, uh, at this level in any previous presidential election. It's certainly unprecedented. Do you think that if he continues... And his handlers keep talking about not wanting to debate that the the American people will ultimately not trust him as being as being capable. That's we'll certainly a risky basis. That's certainly a risky basis, and that uh, that might ultimately the weakness of Biden as a candidate might be what uh, finishes him off. I think Democrats are hoping at the moment that people are going to vote for Biden. Uh, as a vote against Trump rather than for Biden. Right. But uh, I guess we'll see if that strategy is going to be enough. Do you think that um, that uh, the American people uh, will see what's going on? Will they, will it, as we get closer and closer to the election and there is no debate, 
no matter how much the mainstream media tries to push that he's unwilling to, to be, debate Trump, uh, people want to hear from their candidates. And if they don't hear from their candidates, how will they trust it? Just because social media says trust him? If he won't come out and stand up and defend his issues and his policies, why should America trust him? And will they start questioning why they should trust him? Uh, I, I think I think many people might certainly the people paying attention will. Uh, and the one thing working in Trump's favor is that enthusiasm for Biden among Biden supporters is much lower than enthusiasm for Trump. So that might give a, might might give Trump a turnout advantage. Um, but certainly the media will be doing all they can all they can to get pro Biden propaganda out there. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be a big problem for Trump when all of his biggest supporters no longer have platforms to get a counter narrative out there. He'll be relying on a much lower, a much uh, weaker, um, uh, weak, have a much weaker ability to get his message out around the mainstream media than last time around. I think because they're not going to be complacent this time, and that's why that's why it's so important to to get the message out for Trump supporters to get the message out themselves around the censorship by uh, talking to people, by messaging people, by emailing people, even going really old school, going around the social networks rather than through them. Right. Let me, let, me, let me ask you one more question, and I thank you for giving me, Jim, so much time. Uh, yes. I, 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 tend to, I tend to get involved and lose track of time. I, I look at what's going on in the Democratic campaign and this idea of let's not have any debates. Now, I'm a, I've, I've been in marketing for over 50 years, and I've been in the, the money management business for 50 years, and I understand risk. But let me tell you that I think whoever came up with this strategy has not figured out, in the case of Joe Biden, heads, you lose, tails, you lose. Here's what I mean. Heads, you decide not to go to a debate. I don't think the American people will stand for that and they'll say, what can't, we can't trust him. So that's a loser. He goes to the debate and blows it because he can't put string sentences together and he makes all kinds of faux pas, he's done. So he's backed himself into a corner, very much like when he opened his mouth and said, I want to have a woman for vice president. Then Tracy Atkins out of Georgia said he should have a black woman for president because that black woman will appeal to black women voters, which are bigger voters than black male voters. But he got put into a, 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 a corner that now he's got to pick a black woman candidate for vice president. There's only been two cases in the history of this country where women have been chosen by the Democratic contender to bring a woman in as a vice presidential nominee, one in each party. One was Walter Mondale when he brought in Geraldine, Fitzgerald, uh, Geraldine Ferrara. And then you had John McCain who brought in uh, Sarah Palin. Neither one of them worked. What they don't seem to understand, they seem to think that if he brings a black woman on the ticket, that he'll get more black voters. Every polling data that I've seen that people do not vote 
for president based on who the vice president is. So I think he put himself in a position because what he's he's <laughs> Rush said this yesterday. Biden has now put himself into a corner where his candidate has to be black and has to have a cervix. Anybody else don't apply. And so uh, he's, he's backed himself into a corner, which shows, in my opinion, he didn't think this through before he's opened his mouth. We're going we're gonna to choose a woman, and we're going to choose a woman for color, regardless of whether she is the best possible candidate for the Democratic Party. I don't think that's going to is sitting well at all. Well, he's trying to satisfy the base, and the base is increasingly radical on issues of race and gender. Um, I, I will say there's a loophole in, uh, in Biden's uh, promise if he wants to get out of it. Uh, according to the very far left, anyone can identify as a woman. So, uh, so he could, uh, as long as the, he could pick a biological man who identifies as a woman if he wants, I suppose, and then call well, any of his critics transphobic. Yes. I also wrote a commentary about that, and I said one of the things he can also do is defer it to the convention. Let the convention, let the will of the people of the convention pick his vice presidential candidate. Takes him off the hook. Yeah. It, it does, and I, I do think the vice presidential pick is more important for Biden than previous candidates because uh, I think there's some suspicion among some people that by, if Biden is elected, he wouldn't make it through uh, – his first term and have to retire, given how, uh, given the decline of his mental faculties, a very obvious decline there. So that might be why the VP pick is uh, seen as more important by some people this time. Um, but to go back to what you're saying about the debates, I certainly think the debates are very, very important this time because, again, with all of this tightening control of information, the debates is a one-hour time slot in front of the entire national audience where the mainstream media doesn't get to control uh, the debate where they can't just, you know, take Trump's remarks out of context. They have to show the, uh, the you know, all the remarks throughout the entire, uh, entire run of the debate. So I think that's also something that's making progressives nervous that uh, they won't be able to control that. That's true. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I'll look forward to reading your book. Thank you. Yes, uh, but before before we let you go, my friend, uh, how do we get the book? How do we find you online? All this stuff. Uh, absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Libertarian Blue, uh, on Parler at Alan B, or on Gab. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.